in the tallest trees to the human life of you and me from the desert sands to the place we stand he is god of all he is everything good morning all once again we're reading from Deuteronomy 6 and we're doing the last of the Ten Commandments series today, so if you would turn to Deuteronomy 6, and pardon my voice, I seem to be cracking up today. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. Let us pray. Father God, as the songs this morning have said, blessed be your name. We need you and we worship you. We need you at all times to guide our way, to give us strength to carry on in difficult circumstances, to persevere, to discern what your will is for us, and to do your work. Give us ears that are hungry to hear and open our hearts to receive your word through Pastor Mike this morning. May the Holy Spirit be with all of us this fine morning and bless us with your wisdom. This we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning. You can be seated. Welcome to Encounter. Welcome back for the family. If you're new here, uh, just want to reiterate what uh, Tim has said. If you just have the courage to fill out that connection card, we'd love to connect with you and see how we can serve you as a church. Um, we, we, two, one thing that's going on right now, you might hear the, 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 the music is a little loud and my voice is also a little loud. We got a brand new digital board and we're working out the bugs. And so, um, we're blessed to have the ability to, uh, have a brand new digital board and the things that we can do with that. And so thank you for your generosity and your continued giving to the church that we can, uh, you know, come in with the times and get digital and, and, uh, get away from analog so we can start doing really, some really cool things. We've got a lot of uh, great things on the horizon, uh, particularly this coming weekend on the 14th, uh, we are hosting a conference here called uh, Gospel Unity and Diversity. Uh, our denomination is is footing the bill for all of this. We've partnered with uh, Acts 29, the Gospel Coalition, Kingdom Causes, and then we're also going to have City Catering. Uh, City Catering is a social justice uh, uh, business that hires hard to hire uh, people in the city of Con and they're going to come and they smoke barbecue and they're going to come and we're going to pro- provide lunch too. If you want to know more about the diversity conference that we're hosting, it is free. It is on our website and you can sign up if you go to encounterccb.org. You can sign up right there. We, we want to invite the whole church to come. It's going to be a great, uh, we've got 
Oh, some fantastic speakers that are going to come and talk about how the kingdom of God is diverse, how the gospel is the answer for uh, the, the racial tension and things that we are facing as a culture. And, uh, and so we really encourage you guys to uh, come to that if you're able. It's Saturday from 8 to 3. It's a, it's a full day. We will provide you lunch, and, uh, but you will be blessed. It's going to be a great conference, so please come to that. We are uh, in our last week, as Tim has said, uh, in our last week in the series that we have called Faith, Family, and Freedom. Getting back to basics, our aim was to uh, just come and bring some basic family values into uh, our church to help parents and families and those that are single or divorced, uh, just how to live. Uh, we, we, we opened the scriptures and we were using the Ten Commandments to guide us through these uh, Ten Commandments. We use those to guide us through these basic family values. In our opening scriptures, we're called to live by the commands. We're called to know them and teach them to our children. We're called to write them on our, door, our doorposts and our gates so that we can, we can be reminded of them coming and going. That was the purpose of that. When we do what God calls us to do, when, he, when we do what he commands us to do, he promises that our lives will be long and that it will go well with us. Basically what he's saying is that our lives are, 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 will be at their very best when we do what he has called us to do. And as Tim had said, when he had preached, these are commands. They're not suggestions. These are things that God wants us to do and that it would bring order. The first three commands are about our relationship with God. Sorry, first four commands are about our relationship with God. And then the rest of the commands are about how we relate to others. They, we're told to teach our children, and if you have kids in Sunday school this morning, they too will be learning about the importance of living by the Ten Commandments. Nicole has provided an age-appropriate lesson for the Ninth Commandment today, which is this. You got that up there? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's focus on this word, anything, because I don't know, maybe you have a, a, a well, your neighbors do have wives. Uh, I don't know that your neighbors have male servants, or oxes, or donkeys, but they might. Uh, we, uh, but anything that is your neighbor's, that we shall not covet. The first nine commandments deal with our actions and our relationships, but the tenth commandment deals with something different. It deals with the attitude of our hearts. The tenth commandment is, is this inward thing. Like the first nine are outward issues dealing primary, primarily with our behavior, whereas this tenth commandment is inward and it deals with something far less tangible. Uh, it, it deals with our heart. It deals with our desires. It is, it is fair to say that, that lust, greed, and selfishness is rooted and centered in the ten, com, 10th commandment. Let me start by saying that every single person has broken this command. There's not a person that has not coveted. And so this is why it's so important that we know this and, and the reasons and the implications why God would say this. Because everyone has been guilty of breaking this commandment. The good news for us is that we have a Savior who loves us and forgives us, right? And that's Jesus Christ. And that he, and then he calls us and equips us to do, to live and according to God's commands. I told you last week that God would not call us to do something if he didn't give us the power and the ability to do so. So we, God is here today. He's given us the forgiveness and he's here to also today to fill us with his spirit, to give us the power to not covet today. 
We covet uh, from uh, every one of us that covets, from toddlers fighting with uh, their, their, their siblings. Have you ever experienced that? This is mine. No, this is mine. I want this. What about uh, teenagers who, who, who want to or just secretly desire the physical traits of someone else or maybe, maybe the, their talents or, or their possessions? What about adults? Uh, when, when they want what others have, it could be a, a car or a house or a motorcycle or a phone or some type of gadget or some material thing. It's even broader than that. It could be, you could desire someone else's spouse, right? You could desire their position. You could desire someone else's influence in, in, in the world. You could desire even their children. This can lead to some uh, person into some really dark places uh, because coveting uh, gets, in, it gets us into a place where we are just not content with the things that we have and, what, and, the, and the things that God has blessed us with. The desire to acquire is what this is all about. The desire to acquire can be applied to just about anything that someone else has that isn't ours that we have determined that we need and want. We all have ambitions. We all have goals. And, this, so, so this is, and that's not a bad thing. But, but, it becomes, but coveting becomes a bad thing when there's an excessive craving for things that don't belong to us. Coveting can be rooted in greed, envy, and jealousy. Whenever we covet something, it, it's something that we're saying also that, that God, you haven't provided for me. Apologize. So whenever we obsess over anything or that someone, else, uh, that someone else has, we are subtly saying this, is that God, what you have provided me is not enough. What you have given me is not enough. I want more than what you want for me. I want what they have. Uh, coveting is an unhealthy craving for more. We rarely hear the word covet in our culture, but we have plenty of examples uh, uh, all around us, all the time. Now again, desire and ambition is not a bad thing. God has hardwired us for that. Uh, we, we have get, God's given this. The world is full of all kinds of exciting and wonderful and good things and desirable things. And he gives you the, those things in you to, to, to healthily pursue uh, living for him, for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so, so this is not the ambition and setting goals is not a bad thing in and of itself. The problem comes in with self-control. The problem comes in when we say there's no limits to what we can have. The problem comes in when I says, I want what is yours, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to do anything I can to get it. We need, so we need to be careful. We need to exercise self-control, which is a gift and a fruit of the Spirit of God that every Christian has access to. It's not easy, though, when we live in such a world that is driven by consumerism. You've heard me say this before. The American religion is consumerism. I want everything. I'm going to get it at any cost. And uh, to impress people I don't know with money I don't have, right? You've heard me say that a hundred times, that this is the world that we live in. So we must, because we're so driven by consumerism, we must really uh, uh, talk about this. So if you're following along in your bulletin, I'm going to talk about, the first thing I'm going to talk about is some dangers of coveting, the dangers of always wanting more. And the first one is this. Coveting leads to fatigue. The first word I want you to write down in your bulletin is fatigue. In our push to acquire, in our desire to acquire more and more and more, we overwork ourselves. Some take second and third jobs in the, for the sole reason to possess more stuff. Um, 
It's like the material rat race that leads to fatigue. Uh, we are overworked. We have, we have too much stuff that we're acquiring. And so it leads us to fatigue. The Bible says this in Proverbs. It says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. It's foolish, God's word says, to constantly work yourself to death. For what? For why? Why are you working so hard? God's word challenges us that it's wise to know when to quit. When, when, uh, when Tim uh, came up here and taught, he said that God has given us the time and the resources to do everything that he has called us to do. Do you, do you believe that? He has given us the time and the resources to do everything he has called us to do. Principle being what he has called us to do. He has also given you and promises you to provide everything that you need. Not necessarily want, covet, or desire. But he has promised to give you and supply to you all your needs. We will wear ourselves out when we think our needs are, uh, uh, and desires are the same. The second danger that I want to uh, show you this is that coveting leads to debt. Anybody have financial debt right now? Yes? No? Not all? No, you guys are awesome. Dave Ramsey'd up. Financial Peace University graduates, right? Anybody go to Financial Peace University here at this, school, at this church or maybe at another church? We hold this every, uh, yeah, every October. We hold a Financial Peace University and, they're, and, and they're, the aim is, is to get you living within your means, right? And, and to be on a budget and not live outside of what God has provided you. And so the first step is to save $1,000. That's, he calls them the baby steps, right? First step is to save $1,000 because when the elephant falls out of the sky and all of a sudden there's an emergency, uh, we, we tend to go to that credit card and, and pay off that emergency when, when we should have a savings to draw that from that keeps us from going into debt. The second step is to get on a budget, to itemize every one of your expenses. And then, then, and then the third step is to work off all of your debt, just to snowball your debt and get yourself out of debt. Um, if, yeah, we're, we'll, I don't have a date for Financial Peace University, but we're going to provide another one, I believe, this October for you. But the problem with coveting is... Uh, uh, the problem with coveting is, is having this unhealthy desire to want more. And the, and the danger in that is that we continue to put ourselves deeper and deeper in debt. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 5. It says, the more you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. So what is the advantage of wealth? Except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers. Isn't God wise to give us these words? He's like, what advantage is money? It's not to put you deeper into debt. The problem isn't that we don't have enough money. The problem is that we want too much stuff. And a lot of things that God calls us, or a lot of things that we think that we need are actually greeds. They're things that God doesn't want for us. And yet we think we need them, we want them, we have to have them. And it ends up costing us so much more. Coveting can drive people further and further into debt. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you could bet the water bill is much higher too. And, and the question is, can you afford it? Coveting can wreck your budget and drive you into debt. The next danger is this, that coveting leads to worry. 
Coveting leads to worry. When we focus all the time on getting more stuff, we will inevitably worry about how we're going to afford it. The first thing, the Bible says this, uh, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Why? Because they're worried about it. The more you have, the more you worry about it. The more you think that you need those things, the more you're going to worry about how you can afford to get them. And then once you've got them, then now you're worried about how you're going to protect them and that, or how you're going to insure them or where do you put them or where are you going to put it into savings? Are you going to invest them? And is it going to be sure? Is it gonna be? And it leads to more worry. You got to worry. So coveting leads to fatigue, it leads to debt, and it leads to worry. Add them together, and you have the fourth danger, which is this coveting leads to conflict. You agree with that? Coveting leads to conflict. Conflict is one of the, one of the, often one of the most results to wanting more. Uh, most conflicts in our marriages are wrapped around money. Have you, ever had a, have you ever had an argument about spending in your house? Um, I would say that probably 98% of our arguments are about money. Uh, let, me, let me clarify that. Uh, 98% of our arguments are about me spending too much money. Right? If you've ever taken the Dave Ramsey course, I am the free spirit. I'm like money grows on trees. It's just money. I say it all the time. It's just money, right? God will provide it. And, and, and I say that, but I am the free spirit. Sheila is the organized, the budgeter, the, the, the person who plans. She's the one that, like, like, why do you have life insurance? I mean, like, uh, it, it, she's, really, <laughs> she's really organized. I'm not. And, and most of our disagreements, most of our conflicts are wrapped around my spending too much money and not thinking about the future. The truth is this. I've counseled many, many marriages, and uh, this is one of the most leading causes of divorce in our, uh, even in the church today. Financial disputes, financial disagreements, financial arguments. You can't come together. And God would say here, don't covet. Get yourself on a budget. Come in agreement here. James tells us this in his letter to the church. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Let that sink for a minute. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, my, my desire for more and my constant desire to covet and need that causes conflict between me and my wife is not about me and my wife. I love my wife. There's something going on with me that says I have to have that stuff and not honor my wife by spending it and getting it. Just a confession here. The conflict is in me. The desire to want more stuff is because I'm unsettled with what God has already provided me. I'm not content. It's a battle of contentment in my heart to be at peace with what I have. Couples will fight about money. They'll fight about their possessions. And when someone else has what you want and, and you go out to get it without considering our relationships, it leads to conflict. And when we talk about this being a basic family value, it would be better that there is less conflict in our homes. Would you agree? The fifth danger from coveting is this. That coveting leads to dissatisfaction. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Never? Boy, is this a convicting message? Because you guys, it's not that hot anymore. Never buyer's remorse? Okay, just me? Okay. Um, yeah, listen to the words of King Solomon, the wisest man ever apart from Jesus. He wrote this. He said, 
He said, whoever loves money never has, has uh, enough money, I believe it's, called, it's supposed to be. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. It's, it, 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 this, is too, this too is meaningless. And whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves his wealth is never satisfied with his income. The Living Bible, which is a very loose translation, says it's foolish to think that wealth brings us happiness. You see, our wealth and the things will, will bring happiness for a while, but it's not lasting. Um, I, I've, I've realized that. I, 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 maybe you have too, that you buy something, you're really excited about it, and then a year later, you're just like, oh yeah, look at all the dust that's on that thing that I, was, that I just had to have uh, back then. Uh, think about your iPhone. Every year, App, Apple has capitalized on your need to covet on your need to have and they change that iphone when you get the the iphone 10 i mean this happened and and they're they're brilliant at this this happened in the same month for me right i went and i got the iphone 10 and then sheila's phone broke and then and then they gave her the iphone 10 r with all the optical like awesomeness and and the and the camera that was just amazing and i was just kind of like whoa i wish i had the iphone 10 r I mean, really, see what they're doing? I mean, it's just like, why, man, you've got a way better phone than me. You should use your phone by taking pictures. I'm just going to throw my phone away. You know, I, what, I got a brand new phone. But you see my heart in that? I'm just like, what is going on? But Apple has been brilliant at marketing to our coveting hearts. Now, now, now cell phones and, and Apple is not the, the enemy, right? The, 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 the problem is our heart. Why am I not content with having a really nice phone? Right? If there's something going on here that says I need the R and I don't. Right? But when the excitement wears off, I think we've all experienced this. I and mean, when you get something new and you look forward to it, you get excited about it, it's nice at first and then it wears off. Uh, and, and this begs the question why don't things make us permanently happy? Why don't things make us permanently happy? I believe the answer is this because they don't change and people do. Our, our, our phones don't change. Our things don't change. Just, just think of this word, fashion. You're not wearing the same clothes you were wearing five years ago, right? Because it went out of fashion. You got bored with it. Or maybe you are. I don't know. Some of, some of you folks here like, have the same shoes that, that you've worn for 40 years. It's awesome. I like it. You're frugal. But, um, <laughs> but you're way out of date, right? No, I'm kidding. But the idea is this, is that we get bored with stuff. And when our stuff, it wears off, the style wears off. Fashion and style is a good example. When your spouse wants new clothes, the, the, they, the clothes don't change, but they do. And their desires change. Things will not bring us permanent happiness because they don't change, but people do. I wonder if uh, you even know what you got for Christmas last year. Do you remember all your gifts? Can you remember what you got for Christmas last year, but the thing that you were seriously excited about? Do you remember? The antidote to coveting is contentment. Coveting is leading us to dissatisfaction in the world, and the antidote to cov coveting is contentment. The Apostle Paul said this about contentment. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, say learned, the secret of being content in every situation. 
He goes on to say, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of having plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, speaking of Jesus, who strengthens me. Contentment is, is something that has to be learned, Paul would say. And so we're going to turn our attention to your bulletins and we're going to look at how we can learn to be a content person. The first thing we can learn to be content is this. To resist comparing ourselves to others. Now, <clears throat> full transparency here, I struggle with comparing myself to others. Uh, man, when I go visit, when I go to conferences, when I go to other churches, when I go, I, I am constantly uh, uh, comparing myself to other churches. I'm constantly comparing myself to other pastors because I'm inspired by these people. I'm inspired by the way that they do things. But it, it, and that's not a bad thing in and of itself. I think we should be inspired by people. I think that we should uh, have good mentors and good things. But when it starts to control you, which it has a tendency to do with me, I tend to go like toward, toward becoming something that I'm not. And I'll go read a hundred books because, because this guy wrote it and look at his church and look at his success and look at the things that he's doing. And so I'm going to go buy all these books that he has written. I'm going to read them all so that I can be somebody who I'm not. So that I can be somebody who I'm not. And then at the end of it, I become dissatisfied because I come to the conclusion as I'm looking in the mirror and going, I am not John Piper. I am not John Ortberg. I am not, I'm Mike. And God has gifted me. And, and so this comparing, how do you compare with the people around you? Do you look at your neighbor's stuff and go, man, I need that. Why don't I drive a nice car like him? Why do I not, not have a nice house like him? Why do I not have uh, uh, the clothes that she wears? Why do not I not have the, the, the kids that they have? Why do I not have... When we compare ourselves, we're going to lead ourselves into some danger. You're trying to be someone you're not. They might have a BMW in the driveway, but you don't understand the debt that they put themselves into to get it. They, they, or, or you don't understand the education that they, that they have gotten so that they can afford to do that. But yet we compare ourselves to others as if, we, as if that status or that is better and, and that is something that we need to acquire to be satisfied. The Bible says, do not dare to classify or compare yourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves by themselves, they are not wise. Comparing yourself to others, whether it's their house, their car, their jobs, their looks, their clothes, their kids or whatever, it's just not wise. Because you're not them. They're not you. In fact, the Bible would say it's, super, it's just foolish. You'll create all kinds of dissatisfaction in your life when you begin to compare. It's a sign of maturity when you could develop the ability to admire someone's strengths and someone's things without having to think that you need them yourself. Let me say that again. It, it, is, it is a sign of maturity when you develop the ability to admire someone or something without having to acquire it. For yourself. You don't have to have everything that everybody else has. Here's a principle I wrote in your bulletin. It says this, God wants us to learn to be happy for others while being content with who you are and what you have. Often we compare because uh, it's, it's a way that we keep score. But let me tell you this, your net worth is not a reflection of your self-worth. Somebody say Amen. 
Your net worth is not a reflection of, you could be rich or poor and you can understand how valuable you are. The cross of Jesus Christ says that you're valuable. God laid his whole life down to purchase you back, to reckon you, reconcile you back to God, to bring you the, the ultimate peace and satisfaction and contentment in your life. And he has purchased you. That gives you a tremendous worth. And so your net worth does not determine your self-worth. The Apostle Paul warned us in his letter to Timothy this. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin. You see, our possessions uh, can possess us. We can be possessed by our possessions if we're not careful. People will sacrifice values. They'll sacrifice morals, integrity, and all kinds of other things in the pursuit to get more stuff. And that's why this commandment is so important. We'll even sacrifice relationships. Did you hear about the lady that won the lottery the other day? $17 million right here in Bellflower. Did you hear about that? Yeah, $17 million. She calls up her, her, her live-in boyfriend and says, Hey, babe, I just won uh, uh, $17 million, and, and, and uh, we're moving. I want, we're moving. She, he's like, warm climate or cold? He goes, I don't care, but I just want you out by the time you get here. <laughs> the point is this, is that these type of things will cause division in our relationships. And it will lead, so we need to learn to be content. The next thing, that was my attempt at a joke, sorry. I'm, I'm not as good as Tim, sorry. <laughs> the next thing that we can uh, learn contentment is this, to rejoice in what you have. Do you rejoice in what God has blessed you with? Are you just like overwhelmed by the fact that God loves you and he pours out his blessings upon you? And do you rejoice in that? Do we appreciate God's blessings and are we thankful for them? The Bible says this, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and to be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. Oh, isn't that great when, when we can just enjoy and, and be blessed by what God has given us and accept them and be grateful for them? And what you, have, what you have today is a gift. Whether you have little or whether you have a lot, it is a gift from God. Some of us get, get too caught up into the when and then thinking. When this happens, I'm going to be happy. When that happens, I'm going to be happy. When I get there, it's going to be happy. Who or what are you waiting on to make you happy and content? Are you waiting on that perfect spouse? Are you waiting on, on that perfect job? Are you waiting to, to get out of that marriage? Are you waiting to get the kids off to school? What, what are you waiting on to be happy? Happiness is not getting what you want. Happiness is learning to enjoy what you have. Happiness is not getting what you want or think that you need. Happiness is really being grateful for what you have. God wants us to enjoy his blessings. The Bible says in 1 Timothy this, he says, uh, tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and trust should be in the living God who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Do you, do you, do you see that? That God actually wants you to have joy in your possessions and he wants you to have this stuff? What good father, what good father doesn't want their kids to enjoy the blessings that they have? 
But any father and mother would tell you that, that there's nothing like having a kid that you pour out all your blessings on them and they just are greedy for more and ungrateful. Right? God, God loves you. He wants to pour out his blessings upon you. And he doesn't want you to covet, want more than what he has for you. And he doesn't want you to be greedy and ungrateful. Be happy with what you have. Be thankful for what you have. The third thing to learn about contentment is this. Release what you have to help others. We're learning all of this from this, this passage in 1 Timothy. Uh, the first thing he says is to release what you have to others. God doesn't want us to want just to bless you to, for your own benefit. He blesses us to bless others. Uh, Tim's motto for living is... Be a blessing, you're, you're a blessing to be a blessing, isn't that right? <clears throat> Tim, Tim Gilman, can you imagine? His motto for living is that. I wrote it down here, so I'm quoting him. That, that he, is a, he has been blessed to be a blessing. He says that all the time. Now, now, I know his siblings right now are coveting what Tim has right now, so don't covet. That's, that's Tim's motto, not yours. Your mother and father should be proud, Tim. Yeah. Uh, but we all are, are, are here to be a blessing to others. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy uh, to instruct the church this. He says, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming of the age so that they may take hold to, of what is, is truly life. What is truly life? What are you seeking out of this life? And is it what God wants for you? He says, if you want to find what truly is life, then you're going to seek it through generosity. You're going to seek it through giving. He tells the rich here, who's the rich in this context? It's you and me. If you're an American, you are the rich in this context. Even if you're on welfare, you are rich. You are richer than the, you're the, the Americans are the third, I wrote this down, it says, the top, we are in the top 3% of income earners in the world. This means that, that this verse is talking to all of us. The question is this, is it possible to be wealthy and not materialistic? Is it possible to actually live by this, this standard? And I believe the question is yes. And we're going to learn four ways in your bulletin about how to be wealthy and not materialistic from 1 Timothy 6. And the first one is this. Don't become proud with your wealth. There's nothing uh, worse than, than flaunting your money and your wealth around, right? We don't want to think that we are better than somebody because we have more money than they do. The second one is this. We're going to move quickly through these. Do not trust in your money. We are not to look to our possessions for security, for hope, for salvation. The, none of that's going to save you or bring you peace. Our security is in the Lord. He has secured our future. He is the God over our future. He, and, and we will worship him, not our money. We will trust in him, not our money. Bank accounts can be lost. Your savings can be lost. 2008 taught us all that, didn't it? The recession. Uh, taught us all that we want to put our trust securely in the lord the third way that we can be wealthy and not materialistic is this to use your money to do good according to apostle paul we if you have a lot of money don't waste it if you don't have a if you only have a little money you know it don't waste it do something good with it use your money for good the fourth way that we can become wealthy and not materialistic is to give faithfully and cheerfully Giving is a, is a cure for the disease of materialism. Giving is God's antidote for, for uh, greed. 
We, we, if you want to start working at uh, getting, becoming less of a covenant, per, of covenanting or being less greedy, start giving. It is a cure for it. You can exercise your way out of materialism by giving your way. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 20 this, he says, In every way I have shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So according to the words of Jesus, you can bring blessing in your life every time that you're generous and that you give. How much uh, uh, blessing has come into your life because of greed? It sounds very elementary when you hear it, but it's true. How much blessing has come into your life because you were greedy? If you're honest with yourself, you'd say none. But it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Paul says in this First Timothy 6 passage, he says, if when you give and then when you are generous, you're storing up treasures for yourself as a foundation for the coming age so that... They may know that they may take hold of what is truly life. That generosity is what it means to be. To be a generous person is what it means to be a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, then generosity should be one of your characteristics. Why? Because you've been made in the image and likeness of God. And God in his, in, in, in his being is a generous God. And we should be generous people. Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than it is received. The fourth and last thing that we're going to talk about today, the fourth thing that you can learn to be content is this, to refocus your life around eternal purposes. We are called as Christians to live in a kingdom perspective. This is why we're holding this Unity and Diversity Conference that we want to encourage you all to come to, that we need to have a kingdom perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, we read this. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Everything that you have right now, everything that you possess right now is temporary. Everything that you sow into the kingdom of God will last and for an eternity. And so we want you to consider that. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus told us. And it is about a man who, who had, uh, uh, har- he harvested his grain and he had so much success that, that, that he had overflowed. And his response to his overflow and his success was to build bigger barns. And Jesus said this. He said to them, he said, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. This was his response to the person who had much wealth, but just stored it up and didn't use it and pass it on. Our culture uh, has, has a lot of, of work to do, but it's going to have to start in the church. When we become responsible and, and don't covet, when we follow the 10th commandment, when we become people who are content with what God has given us, it will affect change in our environment, affect change in our homes, it will affect change in our, in our neighborhoods, because it looks completely, completely and utterly different than the world we live in today. So a reminder from God's word is to not covet, to be content with what you have. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on all of us and we'll continue in our worship. Father, we thank you, God, for the grace that you've given us. We thank you for the Ten Commandments, these basic family values. I pray that we would build our lives upon these values. And, and, and Lord, I am in agreement with our family here that when we do, we will be blessed. Thank you.